Howdy, folks. During this podcast, we discuss sexuality in relation to ourselves and how we parent. It is adult content and is not meant for young children. Enjoy the show. Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 347, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is Zen Parenting Radio, in case you might ask? Zen Parenting Radio is a podcast where you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding, right? I do. And always remember our motto. Would you be kind enough to say our sure. motto? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have a very special guest of a man who I just met, but I got a feeling that we're going to like each other. His name is Mike Domish from datesafeproject.org. And instead of me reading what it is that datesafeproject.org is, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me what it is. Well, thanks, Todd. Uh, What we do is we work with school systems, communities, universities, and U.S. military on really transforming our culture to one being built on consent and respect when it comes to sexual intimacy, sexual activity, and relationships. Okay, and you wrote a book. What's it called? The book is Can I Kiss You? Interesting title. Why in the world would you name a book Can (laughs) I Kiss You? Well, we're all about teaching using your verbal skill set for consent, and that's really the key to healthy relationship is knowing that it's mutual. A lot of times people assume things are mutual, but they don't actually check in with their partner. And they could be married 30 years and assume, oh, it's Thursday night. They're going to want this. Maybe they don't. Why don't you ask first? And so, but you make it fun. You make it exciting and passionate. And it really sets an awesome boundary level for both partners or all partners. So here's my starting point. Yes. I, as uh, a young man growing up, I I feel like I was taught in the movies or even like sex, like it's very unromantic for a man to ask a girl, if we can kiss you. I think that's a media influence. But it is an influence, right? Sure. Absolutely, it's an influence. And students assume, and people of all ages assume, that asking will ruin it because of that media influence. The only images they see are go for it, go for it, go for it. Right, exactly. So that's the, when I when I heard you do, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, Todd, also, I think the influence is the lack of any conversation around it. Yeah, that's huge. So there is no conversation. Right. So all you have is the influence of media and friends. Right. And porn. Mm-hmm. Right. Which right. has a huge influence nowadays because it's accessibility. People have always had porn. They had porn when we were younger. The difference was it was limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always joke with people and say, if you want to see a naked woman 30 years ago, somebody had somebody's dad had one of three magazines. Right. And everybody knows the magazines. I yeah. could, I, everybody can yell it out, the yeah. three magazines. And I go, and then I go, but you think your kids are messed up because they're looking at porn. Mm-hmm. You know the three magazines from That's 30 right. years yeah. ago. The difference is your kids have accessibility. You didn't have, if you had it, you probably would have been looking. Um, Playboy Penthouse Hustler, right? You got it. Those yeah. are the three. Those are the ones. So, and I've shared this on the show. We've had, I don't know, maybe we've done this 340 some odd shows. We've probably dedicated four or five of them specifically to how to talk to your kids about sex and things like that and how it's not a conversation. It's an ongoing dialogue and so on and so forth. But what I've shared on the show before is my parents didn't have, my dad didn't have any of those magazines. So we literally would, you know, go through old trash cans and try to find old Playboy magazines. And that's, and who knows where we're going to go in this interview. We're going to go in a million different directions. But the accessibility these days for these young men and women, but I'm going to say these young men, and how quickly they can get to some really toxic imagery that goes on out there, it scares the bejesus out of me. And it is all genders. It is all genders are looking at pornography now at young ages. It's Even if you accidentally run into it, at age seven, if you do a Google search, how easy would it be to run into porn? Yeah. Because parents would be like, my kids aren't looking at it. Do you really think they're telling you? 
right. that they're looking at it or if their friends are looking at it and showing them. Mm-hmm. So the longer you wait to have this conversation, you're really getting late to the game and then other influences have already taken over. So right. the sooner, the better they can have these conversations because if it's the only version they've seen, they believe it's the only way it works. Yeah. They see porn, they see it, and they go, well, that's the only version I've seen. That must be what great sex looks like. No, being slapped in the rear end, most people don't enjoy that. There are some who may enjoy that, but you better ask, first of all, if they yeah. do right. enjoy that. But a lot don't, but it's the version you're seeing. Right. And that's those worlds all, like, you know, hitting each other. There's the world of, ta- you know, sex ed and talking about sex. And I know it goes beyond that. We're going to talk about that. But then there's the world of the internet and accessibility and then just communication between child and parent that, you know, sometimes, like you said, a kid may run across something and not tell their parent because they're afraid they'll get in trouble. And that has a lot to do with not just sexuality, but with what kind of relationship you have with your parent. Absolutely. And I'm I'm the first to admit I made that mistake at times when our kids sure. were younger. Uh, and it, it takes years to recover that. When, yeah. when the kid's afraid, if I say something, I'm going to get in trouble. It can take a long, long time. And so creating these relationships the right way early on, non-judgmental. Yeah. Uh, and so I can say anything and it's okay to explore a conversation, especially with sex. Being able to be comfortable wondering, are my thoughts normal? Are they okay? Mm-hmm. I must be abnormal. I can't talk to my parents about this. They're going to think I'm weird yeah. versus your parents have the same feelings, but you don't want to believe that. You That's don't want right. to understand that. And I think parents get amnesia. Again, when we have these discussions about sex ed, we talk about this all the time. We get amnesia about how we thought at that age or how we felt. And so even though, like you said, we did have the exact same feelings. And my favorite thing to say to boys and girls is, oh, that's normal. That's normal. Because 99.9% of the time, it's very, very normal. And, you know, to let them know that. But we forget and we get afraid. Parents get afraid that, oh, they're telling me that. I think that's too early. Or, you know, I need to, they need to understand that that's not okay today. They, they look at it from such a fear-based way that it, it really stunts that conversation right up It front. does, yeah. And the idea that it's too early to have this conversation, yeah. as if they're going to put an idea into their kids' heads, that, that's implying your kids never thought about sex right. or about their own body or about touching or intimacy. And the odds that they haven't had that thought are slim to none. Right. I mean, there might be some, okay, let's say their child is asexual. They still thought, why do others talk about this so much? Or why are they having those feelings and I'm not having these feelings? So they're having the thoughts. And the sooner you can address them, the more they can talk about them and try to understand those thoughts. What's natural, what's not, what's okay, what's maybe not okay if I don't handle it the right way. There are things that are not okay if you don't handle them the right way. Well, and and I think where we get stuck is, you know, the way you talk to a seven-year-old is different than how you're going to talk to a 12-year-old. And I think as a parent, um, Kathy... We're we're partners in this whole parenting thing, and I actually let her lead a lot of the times because I honestly don't know. Like I don't know what's appropriate to share with a seven year old girl or a thirteen year old girl. So Kathy does, but not everybody has a Kathy in their house. And my question is, okay, because when I learned about sex, it was one talk from my mom one night, and that's it. What we've been preaching on this show for five years is it's an ongoing discussion. The tricky part is how do you know when to share what at what time. What do you thought? What do you think? The current media, news, entertainment cycle will give you all the content you'll ever need. So when a parent says, how do I know? When it comes up naturally is the greatest way to have a conversation. There's so much there happening right now. If they watch TV with your kids, you go to a movie with your kids that you can drive home and go, so that one scene, let's, what do you think about that scene? Did you know about And really engage them in a conversation. There was a movie out 
oh geez, probably four or five years ago now, where Steve Carell, yeah, forgetting the name of the movie, but he's he's they play him like an idiot uh, throughout the movie, and it, it's something a collection of like different people that are acting like idiots. And mm-hmm. I know it's not the, a good word on intellectual level, but that's the word they use in the movie. And they make a joke as everybody's sitting at the table that he can't find the woman's G spot. Uh-huh. And he talks about it like it's an object mm-hmm. that he's lost. And she tells him that he's lost it. And the rest of the room is m- really ridiculing them in their mind. They're looking down on him. And I remember driving home with uh, some, some teenagers at the time, young teenagers and thinking, did you understand that? And of course, be, Oh yeah, yeah. We, we understand. Okay. Yeah. Tell me what you understood. Uh, well, we didn't, we didn't really, well, maybe we didn't understand that. Yeah. Okay. So now we have an opportunity to help you understand that. So, but it's being able to have that conversation naturally. Not right. like now, whenever you do the, now we have to have a talk. We all know what we did as kids, right? The barrier goes up. What did Shut I do? Down. Am I in trouble? And I've made that mistake with my own kids. Hey, we need to have a talk. And there are times you need to have a talk, but they get in their head what that always is going to mean one thing. Yeah. Whoops. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, and so it's really trying to naturally have the conversation and and where it's i remember our kids going to a farm my in-laws are farmers and you go out to the farm and there's a cow you know what there's a bull on top of a cow right and saying just naturally do you understand what that is that's very natural to have that conversation yeah and usually they're like gross disgusting uh, they're not going ooh, when do we switch yeah. into that mode right. they're not doing that uh and it's the parents doing that yeah. It's not the kids doing that. It's yeah. yes, and that's the fear thing is that if I tell them this as you already said that it will lead to something else and and again clarifying what you said, they've already been thinking about it and I I think that what's so important is I start talking to kids. Um, I mean, I started talking to my own daughters very early, but the when I go in and teach sex ed it's to fifth graders. And if we don't get to them. And, and again, I say start earlier, but if if we don't get to them, then they're going to have all of those gaps filled in by their peers. That's right. Or TV. or And, and I always say it's going to be harder to have the conversation later because they're going to think you're wrong, parents. They're going to think I have the right information. My parent is grossing me out versus the other way around where the parent can offer the information. And then when their peer says something that might be off, they, they're at least question it because they'll think, well, my parents said this, you know, I'm going to at least question it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's ever too late. I'm not saying if you, you know, for those of you who are listening who have kids in middle school and you haven't started, it's never too late, but go for it. Here's proof it's never too late. We'll be talking to an audience and the parent will come up and go, oh my gosh, I've never asked. Interesting. I've never asked my partner, what would you love for me to do in bed for you tonight? Um, Wow. Why haven't I been able to have that conversation? I'm 45 years old. And so that's proof it's never too late because you get a 45-year-old going, why am I afraid of that conversation? Why am I not engaging in that with my partner? It's fascinating. And so it's never too late. But you're right. Let's start it earlier to make it easier. Easier. That would certainly be a huge benefit. Uh, The earlier we can do that. And you can tell by a kid's reaction if they know more than maybe you thought they knew. You know, if if they're extremely comfortable and like, let's go there, which is good. But you're like, hmm, that can also be a red flag. Like I remember... Uh, once we were, I was a coach and a team was talking sort of under their breath, high schoolers, mm-hmm. and they didn't want me to hear what they were saying. And I just stepped down as coach and I'm like, oh, what's going on? Like, oh, we can't tell you. We can't tell you. Like, well, I'm not coach anymore. So mm-hmm. you just need to talk. You can talk. They're like, well, so-and-so's uh, engaging in 69. Mm-hmm. Right? And they were all disgusted by this and appalled. Mm-hmm. So I went back to 
we're at the hospital. My my child's about to be born. And I go back to the room with my wife and go, check this out. They think this is disgusting. And we start laughing like, good. Like, they think right. that's disgusting. Like, if they were going, woo, for, you know, this type of a thing, like, you'd be a little more worried that all of them were like, hey, they're young and they're doing this. Nope. They were like, ooh, gross. Which doesn't mean it's an ooh, gross activity. But it was that at that age. They not, weren't ready for they it. They weren't ready for it. And that's good to know. That okay, means. you find it gross. That means you're not ready for that. Good to know. That's right. It's not a bad thing that you want. You feel that way. Uh, but once again, it's being willing to hear the conversation without judgment. And if sometimes it's the aunt and the uncles that's going to have a better conversation than you are as a parent. I know. I know. We and, talk and owning that is you have to be okay with that as a parent. That's tough. It is. One of the things we always recommend to parents is as your you know, children are growing up, make sure your kids know who those people are for them. And so, and also let your kids know who those people are for them. I say to them, I have three daughters and I say to them all the time, if you're struggling with something and you don't want to tell me, You've got, you know, they've got a, a cousins who are, you know, 20, they've got, you know, aunts, they've got their grandmother, they've got, you know, so I'm like, I let them know who those people are. And I Be- trust those because people. sometimes for whatever reason, I mean, as much as we want to cultivate this open relationship where our daughters share everything with us, there's going to be times where we're not the right person for whatever reason. I think in life, there's, you need a lot of different people for a lot of different things. I even think in a partnership, like you and I are married, but I'm not going to go. I mean, I trust you the most. You're my best friend, but I have a lot of friends, so I don't dump everything on you. Right. And I think that's a very natural and um, important way to view relationships. And they have privacy. Yeah. And we tend to, we want to forget that our kids want to have privacy. And so yeah. no matter how good of a relationship we have, they want to believe they have some right to not have to tell us everything. And I, I run into parents every now and they're like, well, no, my kid would tell me everything. How, how do you know? Because they do. Well, uh, that's the information you know they're telling you. When they're 25, do you think they will not come back and go, well, there was this one thing I never told you? And every parent's like, oh, of course, they're going to have some okay then. No matter right. how much they feel safe, they're not going to tell us everything just out of their own right of privacy and that they they don't want to have this conversation with us. That's right. They are individuals with their own life, with their own relationships, with their own experiences. I'm still doing that with my parents where I go back and say, hey, did you know that I you know, did this or had this experience or this person was over? And of course they didn't know. And that's, you know, and again, I know that makes some parents feel uncomfortable. Like, are you telling me my kids are lying to me? They're not always lying. They just may not be sharing everything. You know what yeah, I mean? And they might be lying. <laughs> that's true. You know, that's and, true. and did we, none of us ever lie? Good point. You know, I mean, we lied because we feared the consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, people come up to me and go, oh, you know, you do this for a living. Your kids must always be honest and respectful. And I go, they're still human beings that are individuals that have all the feelings you have just because mom or dad is an educator, an expert in this field. In fact, maybe there's even a little more rebellion against that potentially because who wants to go to their parent if they're the expert totally. on something the kid's already nervous about? It can make it uncomfortable. So there's no way that any of us can sit here and know what our kids are telling us, not telling us. So we just got to give them the best groundwork possible, the best foundation possible, and hope for the best. Well, and I that think us wonderful. parents uh, tend to, like, because our relationship with sexuality is not the most comfortable, that that seeps into our children. So really, as much as we like, you have to say this exact correct question, you got to frame it. It's really our own work because, you know, to everything that we always teach, Kathy, is you can't teach anything that you don't already understand well. And for us to guide our children to have a healthy sexual relationship with themselves, with their partners, we have to have 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 that too. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is that these parents, these men and women don't have a good understanding, like they get squeamish about it. 
It, that's huge. I mean, Kathy, you said when we first started, your motto was, you know, your self-awareness will be the biggest indicator of your child's. How many of us took 20 years to get that? Right. To get our own self-awareness. Forget about the whole sexuality side of it. Yeah. That we didn't figure that out till 30s and 40s and some people 50s and 60s. So we're playing catch up on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then we want our kids to have caught up. Yeah. We, we want them to be either where we are or ahead of us. Yes. And we're not even working on it. I'm, I mean, I'm still constant every day learning about myself and weakness. Not weakness isn't the right word, but areas where I need to improve my mindset and my mindfulness. And why did that bother me that that person said that? And 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 our kids have 30 year, less years to figure that out than I we know. do. And we're still we're still figuring it out. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's a matter of compassion. Yeah. Right? Are we being compassionate with our kids? Are we are we owning our own mistakes in the process of raising them, mm -hmm. too, that allows us to be compassionate going, um, be compassionate towards ourselves as parents? They're going to make choices we didn't agree with. That's why they're them mm -hmm. and That's not right. us. Uh, and if we had total control, they would never make a mistake and we would. They'd have no life. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. So. And no tools because they had no life. That's you right. Know, that's where you build you them. You made every decision for them. That's right. So, Mike, just like backing way up, um, Todd and I have read about you and we've watched some videos of you. And so I I already know your backstory. But can you tell us why you got involved in this work? Because I know you have a story to share. It was very personal. I, I grew up in a very tight-knit family, uh, three older sisters, mom and dad, great parents. And I was going to school here in Chicago. Mm. I was going to college. And I received a phone call that the youngest of my sisters, uh, and they're, they're all older. They're all four, six, and eight years older than me. Uh, but the youngest of my sister, Sherry, had been raped. And I, was, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was in shock. I was, I was filled with anger and rage. And over time, that wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't leaving me. And it wasn't getting better. And, and it wasn't helping the cause to just be angry. And I started to realize, I heard a speaker is what happened. I heard a speaker and realized um, I could use my voice to maybe make a difference. And that was in college. And that's when things started to change. I thought, wait, maybe I can take this anger and this this rage and, and confusion too. There's a lot of confusion in the feelings of how to move forward. And looking myself in the mirror. You know, I wanted this rapist dead when they raped my sister. Mm. And then I learned about sexual assault and it said without consent. And I went, well, without consent, what does that mean? And it said permission. I went, well, that would mean asking who ask. Mm -hmm. And so I certainly went, well, I wasn't taught to ask. I was taught to respect, but I wasn't taught directly to ask by our culture. So I went to my friends and went, you know, if it was Todd, hey, Todd, do you ask? And Todd would be like, what, are you kidding me? I don't ask. Who ask? And I went, okay, nobody ask. And then I'd go to, okay, Kathy, do people ask you or do you ask? She's like, nobody ask me. That's mm -hmm. the guy's job. Mm -hmm. And it was all heteronormative. That's how everybody talked. It was the guy's job. So wait, so you just got to push them off when you don't want it? And they're like, yeah, that's what I was taught in dating. I'm like, oh my gosh, we have a culture that says go for it and they have to stop you if you don't want it. No wonder why sexual assault's happening so much. Totally. And that's when everything changed for me. That's when the lightning happened on this topic and where I wanted to start speaking out. And that was back in 1990, 91. Cher was assaulted in 89. And 1991 is when I started speaking out. So you started speaking out really early. I was I mean, 20, 21 years old. Wow. And what was your first like... And again, I don't know if it's your first speaking engagement or what would feedback were you getting and how have things changed? Oh, they've changed dramatically. It was a local high school where I graduated from. Mm -hmm. I went to a teacher that knew me and said, uh, could I do this in your class? She goes, Mike, I trust her. We'll give you a shot. And I did it. And she said, wow, you should be doing this in, this, in schools, Mike. You, you, this is what you should do. Mm -hmm. And that's when the light bulb went mm -hmm. off. And then I went to some professors at the campus and said, hey, I know you. I'm a student here. I'd love to do this little speech in your class. And that's how I wrote it off. It's just I'm just doing the speech. Uh, and they said, we'll give you a shot. And I grew some relationship with the professors that would bring me in then every semester to talk to all the classes. Uh, and then I would, their feedback was incredibly helpful because I started off angry. 
So it was a place of, do you know, are you aware? And audiences be like, Ooh, that's powerful. But somebody be like, you're a man hater. Like you're just bringing anger here. And, and, and I'm like, I'm a guy. What do you mean? I'm a man hater. I, I couldn't correlate that. And I said, Oh, they're feeling the anger. And they think it's because they're a man. And we're talking about men are the ones who do this. It sounds like I'm angry at men. Oh yeah. That's not helping. That's not changing the cause. And then one professor said, Hey Mike, when you do that little role play interaction thing, rooms light up. And so then I really changed. I went, what could I do if, the, if I was just having questions and Q&A and driving the conversation off that? As opposed to a lecture or something. As opposed to a lecture. Yeah. And we went from being a lecture to being a show. Mm. People would go, that was a fun show. Mm. And I went, ooh, mm. that's, that's what we want. And that's just using that word, that has entertainment value versus someone is going to tell me things that I think I already know. Correct. I mean, today we're in front of 2,200 high school students between two different sessions we did, 1,100 in each session. They're walking in. Nobody's walking in. Almost nobody's walking in going, ooh, sexual assault program. Can't wait to hear this. Right. They're walking in going, oh, here we go. We have to hear this assembly. And when they walk out going, oh, my gosh, I never realized how much I relate to this topic. Mm. That was fun. Or I, my favorite is, oh, that was way better than I thought. Yeah. Which is the best compliment because they were right. dreading it and they walked out thrilled they were there. And that means it applied to them. And that's what it all comes down to. Just like when you're doing the podcast, uh, the two of you, it's, you know, it's about the listener. That's right. While we're sharing about ourselves, it's about what of this does the listener impact? Mm -hmm. If it was only, if they thought, well, I don't relate to Todd, then they don't relate to the topic. Mm -hmm. That's right. So that's right. they're not engaged. Audiences are the same way. So well, what's interesting, um, one thing, I'm a man, I do a lot of men's work. I'm in, I have a men's group. I belong to MKP, which is an international. And one thing that drives me nuts, being the father of three daughters, is there's so much information and there's so much attention put on getting the girl to say no. And we don't do anything. I shouldn't say that. There's less attention. It's less common. Teaching the boys to know how to do it. You, for goodness sakes, you write a book. You wrote a book saying, asking the exact same question that they should be asking that I have never heard of before. I was contacted by your people, and I think it's brilliant. Why is it that we are so much more comfortable teaching our daughters to say no? and not teaching our sons how to treat women? It's a great question, Todd. And what happens is this, we have such defined gender roles in our culture that that's what leads to these disasters. Uh, and because there's gender roles, it's also heteronormative. So if you don't fall into a heteronormative standard, uh, it gets very confusing, right? So you're a man who wants to be with a man, and now there's no examples of how to exist in that relationship. Or women for women, there's so few. And so what happens is what if you just remove gender roles? How would you teach your child to engage in intimacy? It mm -hmm. changes the whole conversation because now you can't go. It's your job to say no and your job to go for it because there's no job. Mm -hmm. So if I remove the jobs, how would you teach your kids to engage in intimacy with another human being regardless of gender? Well, would you want your child to have a choice before anybody does anything with their body? Every parent says, well, duh, of course I do. Okay, well, how have you taught your, your child to have that choice? Well, what do you mean? Of course I want them to have choice, but what do you mean? Well, did you teach them how to ask for what they want sexually? Well, no, I've never taught them that. Well, then how do they know how to have a choice? And so what it does, it removes those barriers and enables all genders to have that choice. Because the other catch is if you, were, if you go the opposite of culture and say, hey, teach guys to ask. Now we haven't taught women to ask. So we have not really empowered women with a voice. We've kept them in their roles. We said, guys, it's your job to pursue, and women, it's your job to answer the question. But how about women? You have the right to ask your partner. Guys, you have the not the right. You should want to ask your partner and give them a choice, regardless of gender. That's a whole different paradigm of, wow, I'm free to pursue what I want. 
I don't have to wait for them to pursue. That mm. leaves me no power. Yeah. That is so clarifying. I thank you so much for that because that's, again, I feel like we've been having all these reframes, you and I. That's a reframe for me because you and I have really been focusing because Todd, like Todd said, he works with women. I work with young girls, or excuse me, he works with men. I work with young girls and women. And so we're always like, you know, men need to do this. Women need to do this. Remove gender and let's all have a voice. Yes. How would you want to be treated as a human being? Mm. Yes. Right. That's a, and parents are coming to me, but I want to teach him to be a good young man or I want her to teach her to be a good young woman. How about she be a great human being? Mm. Oh, Would you so care clarifying. about the gender element if they were a great human being? No. Well, and as somebody, you know, I have to be honest. When I when I heard the name of your book, Can I Kiss You, I instantly thought of a teenage boy absolutely having to ask a teenage girl if he could kiss her. Like that's where my brain just kind of landed. And I have a feeling that's how most people think about your program before they heard what you just said. Yeah, they assume, oh, this is teaching boys to ask. Yes. You're correct. And teaching girls to say no, which is another horrible lesson. The lesson out there is to teach girls to say no, which means what? They can't own their sexuality. Mm. What if she wants to say yes? Mm -hmm. Wow. What if she wants the sexual intimacy? So one of the things that we love is that sometimes we'll have a college student or a 35-year-old in the military in the audience when we're speaking in the military, and they'll walk out going, hey, today was the first time I realized I have the right to say yes or no without guilt. Mm. Because we teach them, say no. If you don't say no, then there's these negative terms for a woman being sexually active. Or, I mean, if you say yes, there's these negative terms for being sexually active. But if you say no, there's this negative image that you're a prude, that you're a tease, that you're cold. There's no win-win for women. Yeah. For, the, for the gender of females, there's no win-win. So what if we said, hey, there is a win-win. You have the right to ask for what you want. You have the right to say no at any moment. You have both rights, not one or the other. Yeah. So really, again, clarifying, you remove gender and you also remove age. That's right. Because like you said, you have, you know, and I experience this all the time in women's groups, women who are anywhere from 30 to 55 or an older who are saying, I didn't know I had a voice. And so you're talking to young kids, teenagers and women about, like you said, this is for all of us. Yes. I mean, when we're talking with all the older audiences, it's not a Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I want to tell you about our three amazing partners. Are you looking to keep your family in alignment and healthy? Are you ready to consider chiropractic care as a natural way to solve your health problems? Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care has kept our whole family moving on all cylinders for over five years now. She's dedicated to helping families reach their health care goals naturally. Mention ZPR for $20 off your initial exam and get ready to get your power cranked on. You can learn more by going to chirotree.com. Are your kids getting to that age where you're thinking about braces? Dr. John Kelly will address your dental concerns and how they may affect your overall health, function, and smile. His specialty is treating adolescent children. Many orthodontists straighten teeth, but sometimes it's at the expense of your child's facial development. Dr. Kelly treated our three daughters and specifically how their smile will develop. John is on the cutting edge of this technology. You can learn more by going to chicagodentistonline.com. And finally, do you have a house project coming up? Avid Painting and Remodeling is your answer. Jeremy Kraft is the owner and is a good friend. He has the two most important qualities you can ever ask for in a contractor, professionalism and trustworthiness. Jeremy has done so many jobs for Kathy and I, we have lost count. So if you have a project coming up, I encourage you to give this bald-headed beauty an opportunity to earn your business by going to avidco.net. Now, on with the show. And women about, like you said, 
this is for all of us. Yes. I mean, when we're talking with the older audience, this is not a middle school conversation, but this next part, when I'm talking to an older audience, college and above, we're going to teach them how to ask their partner, what would you love for me to do in bed for you tonight? Yes. And when people hear, they're like, woo, you know, like they're they're like, they freak out at first, but I'm like, okay, are you freaking out? Cause I'm old and I said it. Like if you're a young audience, like the old guy said it, or are you freaking out because it is just too scary to say those words. And a big chunk of them, I gets too awkward. I couldn't say those words, but you can engage in the sexual activity. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, that is messed up. I mean, they're smart. The audiences are smart. And they're like, that doesn't make sense, does it? How (laughs) how am I having the sexual activity I can't talk about? What's missed? Yes, what's missing is the key question. So if you're 45, how about you go home tonight? Look your partner in the eye. If you're in the mood, if you're both in the mood and say, what would you love me to do for you in bed? Explore that question so that when you teach it to your children, you actually know what you're talking about. Right. And you understand the discomfort in it. And and there's not the shame about you shouldn't be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. But- it all is, unless you're communicating about yes. it. Yes, and if you learn how to have these conversations, it goes from uncomfortable to anticipation. Right. Right. Because if you know how to ask your partner, what do you love for me to do in bed for you tonight? Now you're like, ooh, can't wait for bed tonight. Yeah, this right. Is, this is not ruining the moment. This is kicking the moment up. I got like six hours before that's going to happen. Right. And no, my partner might change their mind between now and 11 p.m. Absolutely. They might change their mind, and that's okay. That's totally okay. But what our culture does is say, you changed your mind, how dare you? That's right. You told me at five we were going to do this as if you don't have a right anymore. We do that in marriages. I know. Mm-hmm. And so it's that's why when people go, oh, teenagers need this. You know what? We all need this. And it's why, you know, the discussions that Todd and I have about sexuality all the time, it's why women, and again, I'm going to speak generally about women because I know this is not all women, but we hear those stories about how it feels like you owe it or you just want to get through it or you feel like it's another thing on your to-do list because all of those things that you just said are in place of I, if I, if, you know, if I let him hug me, then he's going to think it means this, and then I have something else to do, and then I have some. I have to stay up late, and I have to be n- not real. And there's so much attached to what you just said that if those early boundaries can be broken down about communicating and what this is going to be, and that you're always free to change your mind, the more you know you're free to change the mind, the le- the less likely you're going to change your mind. That's do you right. know what I mean? That's right. And the the other part of that is, don't you want to own your sexuality? Yes. Right? So don't you th- want to believe that the two of you are choosing to have sex because you both want to have sex with each other at that moment or whatever right. sexual intimacy act it is that you both absolutely want it at that moment and that you're right. Culturally, people think, well, I owe this to them. That means you don't want it. That right. means you're doing it out of pity. And then what will happen is you have somebody in the audience who goes, well, I don't ask and I've been married 20 years. So what's the problem? And I go, well, what do you mean? What's the problem? Well, they're not complaining. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. How do you know they're not complaining? Well, they don't say anything. Why not? Well, I I mean, aren't you, I'll just say, you're asking them? Well, I don't ask. Well, then no surprise they're not complaining. Do you know why they're not complaining? And everybody in the audience knows why they're not complaining. Right. Why is a partner not, if a partner has never complained to you about sexual choice ever in all the times you've had sex, they haven't told you anything you could have done better or they would have liked better. They're completely disengaged. They're completely di- – well, they're completely disengaged or they're afraid of the you handling the, the answer. Yeah. Of which course. Which is most marriages. I don't want to hurt your feelings and so I just won't say it because if I give you negative feedback on sex, this is going to crush you. Well, and as ex- yes. and at the, at the ex- at risk of talking about genders, but I think guys – always think that they are like the sexual prowess and the minute that a wife let's let's speak in grown-up terms a wife would say no i that didn't work for me last night like it it could be devastating 
to that man's, and I say to their myself, ego. my fragile ego. Yes. You know what and I mean? And so in other words, the reason your partner has never given you sexual feedback is because they don't think you can handle it. Yeah. Wow. And when you say that, people are like, like they, they're suddenly like, what? And yeah. I'm like, well, you just said, they've never told you negative feedback. So there's something they're afraid of telling you, which means they're afraid you are the way you're going to react. Just like a child is afraid of telling their parents. They don't want to see that reaction. They're afraid of your reaction. If, if you really had an amazing relationship, your partner would have told you many things because they wouldn't have feared the answer. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and thus is any kind of part of our relationship. You know, it, we're talking about sexuality, but of course, it's a give and take and it's an exchange. And I feel this way this day. So if you've never had any feedback, then that is such a red flag. Yes. That there's, there's fear in there. Well, and, you know, we're talking about mindfulness. It's attachment. Yes. Right. So it's what you've attached sex to. Yes. Right. You brought it up. Do I owe it? Is this I'm married? And so this is my value to them is to perform. I must give this to them. All these it's attachment concepts. Yes. If you were to take away the attachment that sex means this and take away all the answers that you have for that and say it doesn't mean those things. It's a yes. choice you have. Yes. And I choose sex because I choose sex, not because I owe it. Not because it's been two weeks, not because you had a good day at work and I didn't. So I'm going to you know, make you happy just to get it over with. Pacify. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's because I choose sex. That would change everything. Yeah. I feel like this show is going to be the show that all couples listen to in the car. Yeah. Like when their kids have <laughs> headphones on watching a movie. Yeah. I'm serious. Like this is because I kind of I came into this interview thinking about sex ed and kids, which is still just as valuable. Like I it, I'm not I'd rather talk about the grown-ups anyways. But be, well, the reason why we want to talk about the grown-ups is like we said it starts there. Yeah. Whatever is going on in grown-up world is what gets trickled down to the kids. Yeah. If it be through language or energetically mm-hmm. or just the non-discussion creates more non discussion. So it just creates this vicious cycle. And I wish that, you know, opening this up, it's like opening up this box where you see if you do talk, how it leads to more desire or more connection or more communication. Or more depth of a relationship. Intimacy. Outside of sex. But if you could have a good sex life, it will deepen up so many other parts of your life. Well, and that's it. You said the word, it really deepens the relationship because you might not have more sex, but a lot better sex. Right. right? So maybe you don't have more sex. Maybe you have less, but the sex that you have is incredible versus looking up and thinking your partner's not even there. Right. Exactly. I mean, that concept or the, the couple that's having sex and the TV's on and they, you know, they're, they're engaging in act and they look up and their partner's looking at the TV. Yeah. Right. What is going on here that yeah. the TV is more interesting than what's happening here? And we're not mocking that. That genuinely happens in a lot of relationships. But why aren't we, why aren't you talking about that? Mm-hmm. Why aren't right. you saying what's going on here? Right. And talking, not fighting, you Correct. know, because not how dare you look at the TV, right. not uh, instead of, wow, what could I have done that would have engaged you a lot more? What, what would I have done better than, and maybe it's nothing. I just was in the mood to Okay, well then let's just next time let's not do this. Let's wait till we're in the mood. How humiliating is that? That I think you're just doing this to do it for me. That's that's really humiliating. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's pity. Well, and I feel like I don't know if I read this in a book or whatever, but it's healthy to talk about sex when it's non-sex time. Like it's you're having lunch in a restaurant, and because the intensity of being in bed with somebody, and then you have to put all this other. Not that you shouldn't, but sometimes it's safer to bring it up outside of the bedroom, right? Way safer, right? Because you're not, there's not a point of disappointment yeah. in the moment, right. which there shouldn't be anyways. Yeah. But if people do get caught up more in that in the moment, yeah. like I'm worked up and you know that, I mean, that goes back to teenage years. There's still people using the term that if you get a guy worked up, he's going to get what? If, if you don't Blue do the giant right. blue balls, mm-hmm. right? There's still people using that term mm-hmm. and that mentality is still out there even in today's generation. 
uh, versus, well, if that's your problem, if you're so worked up you can't control yourself, you better go take care of that. Because mm-hmm. that's not my job to take care of that's that. That's right. But the culture says, well, you got me worked up. Nope, nope. You, you got, got yourself. You looked at me and chose to get very worked up over what you saw sexually. Yeah. That's right. I didn't. I did not do that, actually. I don't have the ability to get in your head and make you horny. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I can do things that maybe might help that along, but mm-hmm. you make the choice in the end. So You know, and you just like you said, there's that piece, that belief system that we keep perpetuating that, you know, a woman did that to a man, and so she <laughs> owes that to him. And then also what you said about marriage is so important. I want to go back to that. There are a lot of writers, well-known people, you know, popular books that say, Say, the more sex you're having, the more connected you are. You know, I even think, if I remember correctly, Dr. Oz said that at some point. Maybe he was talking about that it, it, having sex is, makes well, you healthier. Yeah, he loves to talk about the physical qualities yes, of it. The Correct. physical qualities. And, and But that's not connected to, is everybody on board with that? Yes. You know? But that's the messaging, too, is that... You know, this whole belief that we used to love each other more when we were first together because we had sex every day or every week or whatever, that we somehow loved each other more then isn't the case. I think we'd need to, like, really examine all of these belief systems and all of this um, information that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, just because you were horny doesn't mean you were more in love. I mean, there's a huge (laughs) difference in those two statements that people want to correlate them as the same. And by the way, your teenagers are doing the same thing. I bet. When you tell teenagers, well, how do I know when I'm in love, mom or dad? You'll just know. No, it's called horny, and it's very confusing. And there are 40-year-olds that still can't tell the difference between lust and horniness and love. So when you say you're going to know the difference, that's about as confusing as you're going to make it for a teenager. Wow. They might not notice it at all because you're not even so sure what it is sometimes. Sometimes you're horny for your partner. Sometimes you're in love with your partner. As far as that sexual moment goes, you want to experience love together. Sometimes you're just horny. Yes. You might love them, but you're not in the moment of I'm infatuated in love with one experience making love with you. I'm horny and want to have sex with you. People have all different paradigms that they're playing with. You are so right. So because you asked that question, there are going to be parents that they're teenagers or younger kids. Sometimes it's middle school kids who believe that they've found somebody, you know, that they really are interested in. It's that first feeling. And it's real. I don't mean it's real that it's time for them to be sexually active, but the feeling they're having is the real. Urges the urges are chemically occurring. Exactly. So when a kid, you know, a kid or a teen says to their parent, how do I know when I'm in love? What, what do you, what is, what do we say? Be honest, say that's really tough to know. Yeah. It reminds me of Louis C.K. Remember what he said? What? He was talking about, you know, Louis C.K.'s comedian. Love him. He's a genius. And he said something to his daughter, the effect of just know that it's a really big deal to be naked under the covers with somebody else. Yeah. Like, cause we. There has to be a trust. Yeah. And he was talking to like his middle school, like she was younger at the time. And it's, it's. He was just kind of saying, this is kind of a grown-up, not a grown-up thing, but it's a really big deal. And, you know, his everyday language is what's so helpful to me because it's one thing for a sex educator to come in and do a boring talk about consent. And then for Louis C.K., I mean, you're brilliant at it. I mean, your openness and about it is kind of along the same lines. It's just really, really helpful for me to have that language. Like, if my daughter's talked about sex right now, I'd be like, just know that it's a really big deal to be naked with somebody underneath yeah. covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that doesn't mean to feel guilty that yeah. you make that choice. Just know that I'm making this choice. That's yeah. a key word. So things you're going to look for are, is a relationship equal? Mm. You can you can think you're in love and be in a very controlled relationship or be the controlling one in the relationship. Uh, are, is one of you always deciding where the two of you are going? 
Mm. Are you always at one place? Now, that can sometimes be because the one place is more comfortable to be at. But is it because uh, they want it that way? Are one of you away from your friends and the other one with their friends? What's happening there? What is your what is your self look like before the relationship and in the relationship? Mm. Is it the same? Mm. Or have you given up things? Have things walked away? That might not be a sign of love. That might be a sign of infatuation. Yeah, possession. Uh, do you have to think about them every second? Mm-hmm. Now, people go, well, that's just being madly in love. Nope, nope. I, I do not need to think. There's a difference in I am thinking about my wife, my partner, and I need to know where my partner is right now. Mm-hmm. If I need to know where you are, if you need to know where I am, that's controlling. It that is. sounds like infatuation. It doesn't sound like love. So what you want to do is help them understand the difference with what they would normally, we would call infatuation and what they're calling love. Because that's usually where the mess up happens. Mm. They're infatuated when we're trying to talk about love. Uh, so do you, have to, do you have to show intimacy to prove something? Yes. These would be all red flags. Uh, one thing we teach students is, is if your partner says, well, I love you, so you should want to engage in sex with me. You should want to do the sexual act with me. Look them right in the eye, him or her, and say, that's great you love me. That means we can stop all this actual pressure to be sexually active because you're not leaving me because we're in love and you're going to slow down and wait till I'm of legal age to make these choices. Mm. Thank you for telling me that we're at that point. Yes. And when you say that, students are like, oh, that is awesome. <laughs> if anybody ever tries to use that because it's common sense. It if you is. loved me, that means we actually can slow down. It's the opposite of what you're doing. You're trying to pressure when we should be slowing down. Because we're good. We're going to be here for each other. Yeah, if we love each other, then we're in this together. Yeah, no rush. No rush. You're not going anywhere, right? For together forever. Wow. So there's no sexual race here because you're going to be around. Now, if I think you're about to ditch me, I might think I'm going to engage in this to keep you, which, once again, that's not love. Yeah. It's conditional. Like love is is without condition. Right. And if the only way to keep you around is for me to you know, give something to you, then that's not love. Right. And the way, another point you can bring up with this is it's almost a level of prostitution. Yeah. That I think I need to perform a sexual act to be of valued in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say to me, well, if I spend that much money, they better put out. So you, pros- you hire prostitutes for your dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's literally how they view it. And by the way, that's not to degrade prostitutes. Prostitutes have the right to consent and the right to be able to say no. And sexual assault occurs in, and sexual violence occurs at high levels in fields of prostitution. So we don't want to disregard the prostitute when we talk about prostitution. We're talking about the act of I always sexual act based on money spent or this level of treatment. No, you don't ever owe a sexual act. Yes. That's fascinating. What's fascinating is all of these things you're saying, I know, you know, meaning when I say I know, that's the wrong thing to say. I have processed or, you know, read about or thought about or worked with people. But the way you're putting all this together is phenomenal because it's it it's everything at once, meaning that every piece, the communication, the relationship, what love means when we're teaching sex ed, all of these things, you know, and obviously the parenting piece, they connect to build a healthy relationship. Because really that's what this show is about, is relationships, mm-hmm. is connection. It, you know, we obviously look at the parent-child relationship, and of course we know who is, um, you know, needs to be in charge in the home, but you also don't control people. So it's about having a positive relationship where we depend on each other. And these, all these pieces that you're bringing together is all about building relationships within the home and then intimate relationships outside the home. Well, and what's so key to that, Kathy, is I agree with you 100% is the relationship with yourself. Yes. Because if that's not there, 
Talk about vulnerability. Right. Talk about somebody looking to prey on someone who they think they can control or or convince into situations or manipulate into situations they don't want to do. And so all this comes to starting with your own relationship. And most of us, if we're honest, we're still working on that. I don't care what age you are, right? I mean, if we're 45 or we're 35 or we're 65, we're still working on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And understanding that's okay. That's part of the exploration. And telling a teenager that. Yes. You're working on yourself. And this isn't a finished product and you won't be finished at 18. You won't be finished at 21. Mm-hmm. And you're going to learn things sexually at 30 that you, there's no way you might've learned them at 18 and mm-hmm. that's okay. You're going to learn them, but know that you don't know everything. And it's a continual growth process and, and to be willing to be vulnerable when we want to be invincible. Yes. Now, it's just like your show. If, if Todd, if you're not being vulnerable, like you were earlier talking about, you know, growing up, then the listeners think, well, you two have it all down. I can't relate to you. Yeah. yeah. We right? love sharing our mistakes. Right. <laughs> We've got to share our mistakes. Yeah. Like I've right. said earlier, multiple times, I didn't do such a great job yeah. Yeah. Uh, on certain elements and I have to constantly learn to do better. Yeah. We do. And that is, that is the other key um, to the show, which is it's self-awareness and that, like you said, it's never ending and it's the first step toward anything. It's the first step toward recognizing what's going on with your kids, your partner, yourself, like taking that time. And obviously, like you were saying, you appreciate mindfulness for that reason. Obviously, mindfulness in its everyday form, but also practicing, you know, if it be meditation or quiet time Mm -hmm. or stillness, so you can actually practice mindfulness in a moment. So you can stop and take a step back before Uh, you make a choice. Yeah. Imagine that a 16-year-old took 20 minutes of meditation when they were confront it with or were considering sexual activity. Wow. And they said, you know what? I'm going to wait till I've had time to think about this. And they wait a day and they take some time to meditate for 20 minutes and explore where their thoughts take them and what that would look like and what it would look like afterwards, not just during, yeah. what it would look like before, what, how, what could change. And they really looked at it all. And then they made a choice. Yeah. That's a very different situation than um, I'll think about it. And what they really do is worry about it. Right. But they don't take 20 minutes to really, really dive deep into meditation and think, what does this look like? What is this going to mean for me? Yes. What is my soul telling me if I just listen here? That's very different than, oh, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? I'm going to talk to my friends. That's yeah. not mindfulness. Peers, your teenagers telling, fellow teenagers telling you what to do is not listening to your mindfulness. That's mm-hmm. getting pressure from society is what's likely going to happen there. It's trying to blend. It's trying to be like others. And that it, the piece of that is the who am I in this? Yeah. And how that's kind of that's what I talk to girls about a lot is how you will feel about yourself. Not not the shaming piece. Not you're gonna feel this way and this equals that. It's not that at all. But where are you with all of this? Because if you're gonna just take the leap and hope you're gonna feel okay, that's that's the challenge. You know, that's where you confront yourself. You yeah. Know, what what if you don't? Right. What if when you've made the choice and it's all done, you're disappointed? Right. Are, and by the way, it could happen. That doesn't yeah. mean to feel bad that it happens. Right. But are you ready for that? Are you ready right. for what that, what do you think it's going to mean? All facets, all yep. aspects. Yep. And, and if it's amazing, like some parents will go, well, what, you know, what if my 18 year old chooses to have sex? Uh, I say, all right, if they're going to make that choice, don't you want it to be amazing? Mm-hmm. They're going to take all these risks. And why do you consider, why are you worried? Well, sex is such a gift. Right. So if they're going to take all these risks, and that's a lot of risk when you engage in sexual activity, uh, then wouldn't you want them to experience it as the gift it's meant to be? That's right. Which means they need a lot of skill sets. That's right. A lot of skill sets that nobody's given them. That's right. And they need to know. Oh, gosh. this yeah. The most overwhelming part about all this, because I think um, your information is beautiful and the way you deliver it is beautiful, is it's such a big, vast topic. And... I, Especially I, the way we're talking about it here. I'm sure there are a lot, you know, we're bouncing from our own sexuality to our kids' sexuality. And I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of parents out there asking the same question that I am, which is, 
my goodness, how do I know I'm doing this right? Where do I start? I don't even know how to begin. Do I start with myself? Do I start with my kids? And then you're like, oh my God, there's just too much to worry about. I'm just going to put my head back in the sand. Mm, good point. Which is the worst thing we can do. Uh, no matter, I don't care if you're the world's leading authority on this topic, you're still learning. You're still learning about yourself. You're still understanding these. And so to put our head in the sand is just to rob ourselves of the gift of improving ourselves and helping our children. And so one of the first things you want to do is say, all right, what resources are out there that I can dive into that can help me have these conversations with myself and maybe with my teens, and but with myself too. And that's one of the things that we love is that when we first wrote Can I Kiss You, uh, for it was people go, well, it's for teenagers. And parents would pick it up and go, well, I want to read it first. And the parent would be like, I got to tell you, um, I needed this book. Mm -hmm. That's right. As much, if not more than my kids did, I realized it after reading it because it, it helped shift my paradigm of the ridiculous uh, places I was locked into thinking mindset wise because of how I was raised. And this freed me of that. And now it allows me to have a different conversation with my kid because I freed myself which is really, really important. And so finding the resources that connect with you and dive into them. It's just like, you know, I love the name of your podcast, you know, the Zen Parenting. Well, where would you go? You go to books that you connect with on Zen, Buddhism, mm -hmm. that you, that connect. There are going to be some books that, that feel like when you read them, and I've run into those, that feel like they're academic in nature. And I'm like, oh, this is not working for me when it comes to mindfulness. But this one over here, it feels like it's talking to me. Yeah. Yes. And so I could read this book and I could read 10 of these books for 10 weeks in a row. Yeah. That find that book, yeah. find that that resource that connects with you. Um, go and ahead. can I say one more thing sure. about that? And you know, just on the really basic level, this is what I've I've gotten so much from you today. But is expanding what a sex ed conversation is. So what we have now, and what we you know do in the schools, or what we try and do at home, is talk in a very physical way, like just the mechanics. And, you know, this is how things fit together and these are what these pipes are. And this is we're very mechanical mm -hmm. and we forget the emotional element and the consent element. And now when I say consent, I'm thinking of it the way you do consent on gen not gender specific consent for everybody, the the willingness to um, understand yourself sexually and to know that you always have that choice. That's that's not incorporated in sex ed it's right not, now, Mike. No, sex ed right now today, nowadays, in most school systems in our country, is either what not to do or what not to get. Yes. And sometimes it's a combination of both. So what not to do is abstinence education, which is a wonderful option. It is. A wonderful, yeah. beautiful option. It's not a form of, of safe sex, though. Mm -hmm. And that's the mistake. Schools will say, we teach safe sex, we teach abstinence. No, you're saying no sex, <laughs> which right. is a wonderful, healthy choice. Wonderful. But don't call it a form of sex because teenagers listen to that and go, you sound like an idiot. Right. That is not a form of sex. That's a choice not to engage in it, which is fine. <laughs> so you have abstinence and then they have over here, okay, if you do choose to engage, don't get diseases and pregnancy. Right. So that's what not to do and that's not what not to get. And so what happens is I've been taught what not to get. I've been taught what not to do. I've never been taught what to do. So how do I formulate do what I to there? do? So yeah. we just did a show last week, and it was talking about the difference between anti and pro. Like a lot of people will be anti this political candidate. but or, And it's all about kind of what you're saying. What we teach is the negative. The fear. The fear instead of the positive, the love, the connection. And that's what we need to kind of engage more in, not keeping my daughter safe from getting pregnant and getting a disease. It's what does a healthy relationship look like as opposed to what it doesn't look like? Yes. And what about the physical side of pleasure? Mm -hmm. Like, so they will talk about here's the mechanics, but not pleasure. Right. Right. So yeah. they're not teaching them what pleasure looks like. So here's what happens. You get two teenagers engaged in sexual activity, one more rated than the other. Uh, and let's say that one is having an orgasm and the other's not. 
and they think they're on the same playing field experience-wise of pleasure That's because right. they don't know what they're supposed to feel. So the one goes, uh, well, it felt good, so sex is good. And the other one, it felt amazing, mm-hmm. and you're getting cheated because your partner thinks, oh, as long as I'm getting what I want, I'm happy. Right. And you're happy making me happy. Right. We have a wonderful relationship. Well, wait, you're never getting the full pleasure that, that this yeah. person's getting. That's something's messed up there. Like if you choose to do you've been married 20 years and you think, hey, I want to do that for you tonight. That's one thing. But if that's how your relationship works, that my pleasure is built on only if you get pleasure, I'm never being pleasured at the same level. Yeah. That's and right. because they only taught me physical physicality of sex ed, I don't understand that emotional, that that actual physical pleasure of being able to talk about that. Like I want to feel the ultimate sexual experience. Here's what that looks like for me. And telling a partner that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we bumble around trying to figure out what that is, and in the meantime, often picking up either bad habits or bad information, or we, or we're so self shaming mm-hmm. that again, you if that discussion happened at the beginning, and there was actually that question of what did you experience, what did I experience, but that communication doesn't happen. We just it just ends, and and everyone's like, okay, and we're pure done. lack of knowledge is incredible. Pure lack of knowledge. I mean, there. What's incredible out there right now is how many few people know that most women do not orgasm right. with what they call missionary sex. That's right. And so they're all out there trying to have missionary. I mean, once they're in relationships, they might not be just, but that's what the focus point tends to be out there. And one gender, that's not even going to do it for the far majority of them. That's There's right. other ways that it's going to occur. And so, but we're not having those conversations. That's right. So I can run into 55-year-olds in the military who someone will bring up, well, what do you mean we don't have knowledge? And I'll bring up this example. And they're like, what did you just say? Did you just say 75% cannot... And you're like, that's what the research is showing. And what? Like, they can't fathom it. because yeah. they've been taught something different. So for 30 years, I've engaged in sexual activity that will not bring the greatest pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean there's not emotional pleasure and other things that I could have brought my partner. That might be true. Now, I don't know your partner, but that might be true. And they're like, whoa. Yeah, that's basic information we should have given you. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's anatomy. <laughs> that's that's what anatomy. That is. That's anatomy. Oh. Well, and it's funny. Like, we have three daughters. Um but one thing that I get frustrated at sometimes is I hear these families like, well, well, my daughter is, uh, my wife is in charge of teaching my daughters. And if they have a son, then me as the husband's in tar- charge of teaching my son as if it's gender specific. Isn't again. it much more important to hear if you're lucky enough to have a mom and a dad or in the house to hear from both sides? I'm a huge fan of letting children hear all perspectives. Huge, yeah. huge fan of it. Now, I do know some parents that the one just is not comfortable having the conversation. They won't have the conversation. And well, then, yes, the other one needs to be having the conversation. But ideally, yeah, you want both of you to be engaging in that conversation. Well, and in my experience, uh, you know, it, it's an ongoing conversation in our household as best we can. But there was one specific evening where you taught one of our girls, you took her somewhere and you talked about the mechanics of mm-hmm. it. And then you said, all right, Todd, you know, you came home. <laughs> go upstairs and, you know, give your perspective, give your perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go up there. There's, and maybe there's a part of me that, um, isn't, is doesn't feel safe or whatever reason. It just wasn't something I was really looking forward to doing. I fought through my discomfort. So I'm, I'm speaking to the dads here because I know there's a lot of dads, especially of daughters who feel discomfort, who can't even utter the word tampon or maxi pad or anything that has anything to do with the female anatomy and fight through your discomfort, guys. You're stronger than you think you are and do it. And I did it and it was uncomfortable, but it felt great afterwards because I know that I can have this conversation with my daughter about it. Well, and that's so important, Todd. And really for the dads out there listening, get knowledge. 
Yeah. That's what overcomes fear is knowledge. Go learn about female sexuality. Yeah. If you're going to talk to a woman about sexuality, learn about female sexuality. What dads try to do is they try to protect. Yeah. And moms too. All parents do it. They try to protect. So they walk up there and go, all right, here's the kind of messages you don't want to send. And they victim blame their daughters or, you know, don't send out these messages or don't wear this. Don't do that. And if a guy ever touches you, I'll kill him. Mm. And it's, all scary, horrible concepts. And all guys, I know I'm a guy. All guys just want to get laid. Okay, that's really freaky that my dad just said he only wants to get laid. Yeah. That's a little, right. a little crazy. But you're, you're a guy, dad. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's just a little weird. Uh, but two, <laughs> no, you just set a horrible standard for your daughter or your son, whoever is hooking up with guys uh, or having sexual intimacy with guys. You just said, have a low standard for men. Yeah. Versus oh. walk into that bedroom and go, hey, you're going to hear that all guys only want sex. And there are guys that that's true of. But there's so many guys that want to be with you because you're amazing. You're smart. You're just, why would you want to be with one of the guys who only wants you for sex? Yeah. Why would you want that when there's so many other amazing guys? What happens? They go, yeah, I want to be with one of those amazing guys. Yeah. When you say all guys are dirtbags, all guys are trouble, Ugh. they're still going to want guys. It's toxic. So what happens? They'll be with a dirtbag. Now bag. they'll go, well, I got to be with a dirtbag. It's my only option. And so they lower the standards and say, yo, I'm in an abusive relationship. Well, that's what guys are. I got to put up with that uh, when their partner is a guy. I, I obviously yeah. want to be careful. We don't want to be too heteronormative. Yeah. But right. when that's the case, yeah, we want to be aware of that. Yeah, and that and just that line of thinking perpetuates the idea of toxic masculinity. Like we're only one thing. We we'll only have sex in our mind and all that. It's just it drives me. And the whole um, you know I'll kill any guy that comes. Like I, I've shared this many times on the podcast, but I'll share it one more time. The idea of the shotgun over the fireplace. I have three daughters. You have no idea how many times I've heard. You know, keep that shotgun over the fireplace. And the reason it drives me nuts, one is what you just said I never thought about. Uh, but the second one is that it uh, removes any judge, any ability to make a good sound decision for my daughter because I'm always going to be the one per- protecting them from She every- thinks that her power, she doesn't feel powerful. She thinks you're powerful and she's not powerful. Right. So and there's shame and guilt towards dad. If I disappoint dad, yeah. right? The shotgun's right. over the thing because I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah. Versus right. I have the right to make choices when I get to a certain age and I'm going to make that. And by the way, the guy hates you even more. Now, how easy is it to betray a dad you don't like? Mm-hmm. So much easier. So much easier. So if you're sitting there as the guy, the boyfriend or the partner in this case, sitting there going, I just got threatened about, did you see my shotgun over the thing? He's a jerk. I don't care about disappointing him mm-hmm. honestly i don't care right. but if you walk into my house and i go hey if you're dating my kid you must be a pretty awesome person that's awesome so you know what i just hope that you always both respect each other like if my child and so his daughter son whatever doesn't respect you that's not okay yeah likewise we would expect the same for you that respect most people are going wow they just said their kid better not disrespect me yeah that's a wow. whole different this is a pretty cool parent i don't want to disappoint this parent yeah now it's the opposite now they go on the date going, maybe their partner's being a little aggressive, the kid, and they yeah. might be going, I don't want to, yeah. I'm not ready yet. And you're, you know, I feel actually safe saying that because your parents just said, let's not do something if we're not ready. You know, so it's a positive. Uh, and that's another relationship building yeah. thing. You know, that's what are we, when our, when our sons or daughters bring home someone that they care about, you form another relationship, not form a protective barrier and mm-hmm. tell them that, but you, it's, you open your heart mm-hmm. to these people. Mm-hmm. It seems, you know, it's been so lovely talking about this because it seems so simple when we have this discussion, but how quickly it can get muddled. And I, you've, you, 
you may have said this at the beginning, but how do people find you? Like how, because you, like you were just saying, the military is where you've been doing a lot of talks, but tell us where you've been and what you've been doing so people know how to get you. So we, I, I do programs, live speeches, training sessions, programs uh, for everything from middle schools, high schools, universities, and U.S. military. Uh, U.S. military, we work all over the world, literally uh, four, four or five continents uh, as far as where we work, where our military is. Universities and high schools and middle schools, we work throughout North America. So if somebody's listening going, hey, I'd love to have them come to speak to our students at their school, they would go to datesafeproject.org. So you would think about being on a date. You want to feel safe and you don't want to feel like it's a project. (laughs) Datesafeproject.org. They go on there. They'll find a ton of information. Also, our books, our DVDs. We have a DVD for parents called Help My Teen Is Dating that really dives into this and makes it fun. Uh, They'll also see our 800 number, which is 800-329-9390. They can call. They'll talk to Rita and she'll be happy to take care of them and give them whatever information they want. And Rita's one of my sisters. I said I have three. Uh, oh, three sisters, really? yeah. So it's a family uh, business. It is a family business. Um, what about your book? The book is Can I Kiss You? You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on our website at datesafeproject.org. And we have another book called Voices of Courage, which is 12 survivors sharing their stories. Incredibly powerful and, and inspirational. Um, who, what's, what's the book about? Is it for parents of teenagers? I mean, I know it's for everybody, but specifically who, who is. So voices of courage is really, um, an age appropriate book. In other words, if there is some language in there, cause it's survivors sharing their stories. Right. Yeah. So that book, usually people say high school and older okay. is appropriate for the can I kiss you book. People tend to say 12 and up. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say 12 and up, we literally know 45-year-olds that use it for single, they're single and they're dating. Yeah. And we have 13-year-olds that are using it in middle school. So it really depends on you know where you're at. Uh, and I know parents that are using it way younger than 13 because that's the relationship they have with their kids. They're not waiting until they're 12. Wonderful. But a lot just say 12 to be safe. Yeah. You, know? you kind of have to set that standard. Yeah, that middle school mm-hmm. standard is yeah. what they're going. Mm-hmm. What um, do you wish you had an opportunity to say to us that we haven't given you an opportunity? Like, is there any other message or, or antidote or anything that... Well, one, both of you, both Todd and, and Kathy, you've been fantastic. Uh, the one thing I would just say, if in the end, the, the final message that we'd walk away with any child or ourselves is every human being deserves a basic level of dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. Are we treating our partners with that? Are we treating ourselves with that? Uh, when we're at a party and somebody's being degraded, are we stopping that and going, that's a human being? Yeah. Are we treating people like human beings or only the ones we care about? <laughs> mm. Are we doing that as a whole? Wow. I think that's a good way to close. I do too. Mike, thank you so much. Oh, thank you both. I appreciate your message so much. Mike Domish, the uh, name of the website is datesafeproject.org. Mike, cannot say thank you enough. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. (laughs) On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribe men's group.com. 
If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FamZoo logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.